The Northern New York Community Foundation, together with WPBSDT, present the Northern New York Community Podcast Initiative, stories from the heart of our community. Hi, folks, and welcome to another edition of the Northern New York Community Podcast. We begin today's story in Sprague,ville New York. Previously known as Sprague's Corners, it was once a bustling hamlet with two iron mines, a cheese factory, hotel, and a variety of stores. Today, it is a sleepy but proud community towing the Jefferson and St. Lawrence County lines with a population just over 80 residents. Kay Church was raised in Sprague,ville, and she chose to care for her own family in the same community that made her. Kay is here and gracious enough to share her story about the triumphs and tribulations of her life and how volunteering in the community has created the greatest and most meaningful joys. Before we visit with Kay, let's take a moment to thank our supporters for the podcast, WPBS and the Northern New York Community Foundation. They are responsible for the creation and production of these outstanding stories from the heart of our community. Be sure to check out what both organizations are doing these days. Head to www.wpbstv.org to see the latest from WPBS and www.nnycf.org to learn more about the Community Foundation's recent work. Now let's start our conversation with Kay Church. Kay, it's great to have you here. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. To start, let's share a little bit about growing up in Sprague,ville, New York. Uh, what was the community like growing up there as a child? It was at least probably almost twice the size of what it is now. Uh, there were large families, uh, and everybody knew their neighbors. Most mothers, wives did not work outside of the home, and we could always go and to the neighbors just to hang out. And I practically lived outdoors. <laughs> I was a tomboy. It was just a wonderful place to grow up. It was peaceful. It was just a good place to be, to grow up. Now, one of eight children in your one family, One of eight children. Correct? I'm number five. <laughs> what was it like having a family that size living in, in Sprigville, New York, and having mom and dad oversee so many kids? Right. And my grandmother lived with us also, so there was 11 in the house. It was really good. I mean, there was, we had church. We had the Methodist church that we attended. Uh, my father uh, and mother were pillars of the church. We, we didn't have a lot, but we had everything we needed. My father uh, was a Boy Scout leader, PTA president. I believe my mother was also at one time. Mom and dad were giving people to the community, maybe not in money, but in other ways. Can you share an example or two that you remember as a child of some of the things your mom and dad did to give back to, to folks in need? Well, mom, before she became a nurse, one lady especially would needed her hair done, a perm, couldn't afford to go to have her hair done, and mom would go do her hair. Uh, just, you know, something simple, but, you know, it needed to be done, and, and mom was very willing to do it. My father had to retire at age 53. He worked in the talc mines, and he uh, had talcosis from working in the talc mines, and he had rheumatoid arthritis. But even though he couldn't get out and do, he did from home. He was involved in a literacy program for adults that couldn't read. And I found out many years later that uh, I, I met a young man at the college where I worked, and we got to talking about Governor area, 
and he found out my, who my father was, and he said, because of your father, I was able to get a job in the mines. I couldn't read, he helped me. I couldn't have worked in the mines if I couldn't have filled out papers and done certain things. And with your father's help, I was able to get that job in the mines. So, and he also was a Boy Scout leader for years. He had approximately 18 boys in his troop in such a small hamlet. It's not even a village, Sprague,ville but a hamlet. And uh, he was just, like I said, he was always giving, and mom was too, you know, in and, and just small ways, but in good ways, you know. What are some of the values of giving back that you learned from watching your parents lead by example? The kindness to people giving back in some small way to make a difference, to make a difference in people's lives. Uh, they're not wanting charity. They just need help, whether it be just the small things and a visit. My father, again, he was not able to work at age 53, and he would find out that there were people that were kind of down and and needed somebody to talk to or just a listening ear, and he would call them, and he would talk with them and listen. And, you know, he, he didn't realize it, I don't think, but he was making a big difference by doing that. Now you graduated from Governor Central School and married at the age of 19 and had three children, Michael, Kimberly, and Greg. How important has sharing some of those values that you learned from your parents, how important has it been to share those same values with your children? Well, my children learned at a young age because uh, at a young age, um, I was uh, the only parent they had in their life. And we had neighbors that gave of their time. They would take the kids for overnight. They would take them on vacation. Um, and so they saw it at a young age. And I said to them, do you know how fortunate we are to live where we do? If we lived in New York City or a big city and didn't have family and friends, how different our lives could be. We could be living on the street. So they, they saw it at a young age from watching others do for us. And uh, my son is involved with the Alzheimer's Walk my daughter started a clown ministry out in Colorado after uh, being here and finding out and seeing what we did with our clown ministry in Governor. And my son Michael passed away almost 11 years ago at age 39. He, he even when he was sick with cancer, uh, it was either a neighbor or a neighbor's family that needed somebody to talk to. And Michael, as sick as he was, was encouraging him, you know. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter how little money you have. Um, there's always something you can do to make a difference in others' lives. Going through that tumultuous time, um, single parent home, finding a job to help sustain your family and your three kids, what did you learn the most about yourself going through that experience? and receiving, be on the receiving end of the generosity of others, but then when it was time to also give back to others when you could. Yeah, the, the expression is more uh, blessed to give, it's, it's, 
than to receive. It's easier to give than to receive is so true. Again, I got the job the same month uh, uh, in August of 79, as soon as I can at Cheney Dining Center. And uh, because we were actually living below poverty level, I got to a point where my car that I had was not working and I had to get a different car. I could not get a credit card because my income was, I was a seasonal worker, my income was so low. So I went to my Aunt Mabel and Ocomario Pistolese and I asked them if I could borrow the money and when I, money I got for the car, I would give them right away and then when I would get my tax return, I would pay them. It could take, it would probably take me quite some time. And they agreed upon that. I wanted to sign a contract, but they didn't want to do that. So no contract was signed. So when I did get the money for the car, I gave it to them, the other car. When I got my tax, first tax return back, I went to give it to them and they wouldn't take it. And what they said to me was, if someday you can do for somebody else and make a difference in somebody else's life, that's payment enough. So it was very special and they wouldn't, they wouldn't take the money. I really wanted to give them the money and they wouldn't take it, but it was, you know, uh, what a difference. Well, in many ways, it seemed to be almost a tipping point in your life, too, where you began to really demonstrate giving back full force once um, you had that experience certainly happen and you're taking care of your kids. And you became such, you were a devoted volunteer before, but it, it seemed as if your volunteerism increased then gradually at, at that point. So whether it was church, in the community, or elsewhere, it was pretty easy to find you in the midst of trying to help. If I remember correctly, it was the experience in taking care of your mother that introduced you to hospice for the first time. Um, what was that experience like um, in the latter part of those years taking care of your mother? Yes, uh, mom passed away 24 years ago, uh, but in late 93 we had hospice. And such a wonderful organization. I can't say enough about it. Uh, what a difference they made uh, that mom was able to go peacefully uh, and without the suffering, without the pain, and be at home in her own house. And we ha uh, have requested volunteers, and in our area, uh, they were the western end, or the southern end of St. Louis County, and we had hospice of Jefferson County at that time. And uh, there weren't the volunteers that could come and uh, they didn't have hardly any volunteers in the area to begin with, but there weren't the volunteers that could do the things we needed to have done. And so when mom passed away, uh, I thought, I want to give back. And so I had to wait a full year, and then I took the training, and I've been a volunteer with Jefferson County. I haven't recently for Jefferson County, but St. Lawrence County, I've been a, a volunteer for approximately 18, 19 years. It's just, I can't tell you, I can't tell you enough uh, how beautiful it can be. It may sound sad, but it's, it can be beautiful to, to be in there as a volunteer and to make a difference in some small way in the, the last the journey last part of their journey. Um, the hospice t patients have taught me how to live and they're teaching me how to die. It's just such a special 
special organization. A recent example, too, that we've, we've talked about before, but implementing a music and memory program for some hospice patients. Yeah. And the Community Foundation's Youth Philanthropy Council program or a grant to Hospice of St. Lawrence Valley to start a pilot for this. But when you heard about it, you started to actually deploy it with some of the, the folks that you were volunteering for and helping at hospice. Can you share you know, one of the best stories from that experience of where music has really made a difference for some of those folks? I will. I first want to say that um, my husband was a, a patient. Uh, he had Alzheimer's at Riverledge uh, Nursing Home in Agnesburg. And while there, I got to know the activity director and a lot of the people. And then after my husband passed, I wanted to give back uh, a small donation of money. And Larry said, instead of uh, donating money, why don't you purchase an iPod and a speaker? I didn't even know what an iPod was. So he told me about it, showed me what it was. And because they were just, they had the, music and memory program there, but hadn't really gotten it off the ground, I don't think. And then about the same time, Hospice of St. Lawrence County was, uh, was, was going to start doing it. So it's been about a year and a half that I've been doing music and memory. And so I think I ha one of the patients I have right now, she's in her early 90s. She is in a cherry chair, a special chair, where she is almost in a laying position at times. and. When I went to see her, she was sleeping, and I said to the nurse manager, every time I go to see her, she's sleeping, and I don't want to wake her up. She says, wake her up, because she sleeps most of the time, and I'm so glad she told me that. So when I, the first time I went to see her, I introduced myself. I asked her if she wanted to listen to some music, and she said she did, and she played the piano uh, at her church, and so, I played hymns and knew that those would be something that she would really want to listen to. And her eyes were shut, and she was just there, sitting there. But once I turned the iPod on and turned the speaker up so she could hear it, it was like she came alive. Her hands started going like she was playing the piano. She started smiling. She started singing to the hymns. Even though she spoke very little, music brings back memories from the past. And that's what she was doing. She was remembering, she could remember all the words to the songs. And she would say to me, isn't that beautiful? Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's amazing. Truly amazing. One thing I want to ask you too, we've talked about this a little bit, but it's another, I think, gesture of looking out for somebody else, but you give out a lot of hugs when you go to volunteer hospice, don't you? <laughs> I do. Why is that important to you? Well, I, I do it for the, the person, whomever I'm with, not just for them, but for me. It's just a good feeling. I know what a good feeling it is to me to get a hug, a sincere hug from somebody. And so uh, I, I try to ask first because not everybody is a hugger. So I try to ask first, and it just, I think it makes them feel good. I know it makes me feel good. And it's just a, an act of kindness, an act of caring, of letting them know that you do care. Switching gears to something that you're very passionate about and volunteer for, and you mentioned this earlier about your, your daughter doing this, but the clown ministry, 
For somebody who's wondering what that is, tell me a little bit about the genesis of that, where that idea came, came from. Uh, in 2010, I was volunteering at Governor Nursing Home as a hospice volunteer. And it was late November, and one of the patients that I got to know, she wasn't a hospice patient, but that I got to know, the resident, seemed kind of down, and so did some of the other residents. And I thought, boy, we've got to do something. There's something we can do about this. So and my sister Linda and my mother used to play violin, piano at Governor Nursing Home when my mom was alive. And my sister talked about going back and doing it again, but she hadn't done it. And my friend Carol and I had talked about starting a clown ministry uh, through our church, and, but we hadn't done anything about it. So I called Linda and I called Carol and I said, what do you think? And they both knew this patient. And he said, sure, let's do it. So I called the activity director and I told her what we wanted to do and she wanted to know the name of the group and I said, I don't know. We don't have a name, we haven't done this before. So uh, originally we were called uh, Linda and the Clowns and then we started having people come and be a part of our company and sit with the patients, the residents, and uh, uh, talk to them and sing with them. And um, so then we became Happy Linda and the Joy Clowns. And then later on, my sister's pastor joined us and um, another sister became a clown, my sister Connie. And so we became the Joy Clowns and Company. And so at the, the, one of the very first times we did the, the clowning at Governor Nursing Home, one of my hospice patients, they brought her in. Again, she was in a jerry chair. She had advanced Alzheimer's. She couldn't move her body, just her eyes, or at least that's all I ever saw when I was with her. And when the music started playing, my sister uh, plays fiddle music plus, you know, uh, regular violin music. And she started playing a country western tune. And I looked over at my hospice patient and her foot was going ever so slightly in time to the music. And I didn't think she could move any part of her body except to move her eyes. So she was there. She came alive in a small way that brought back memories. It was beautiful to see. And so we, we do clowning at uh, Canton Maplewood Nursing Home, the third Monday of each month, and River Lodge Nursing Home, the second Monday of each month. And the reason we stopped going to Governor again is that that nursing home closed, and uh, we wanted to reach out and continue our ministry, and it's beautiful. I don't know who gets more out of it, the residents or those of us that go to be a part of the clown ministry. It's beautiful. I leave, I leave the nursing homes doing the clowning on a natural high. And also when I do my hospice volunteering, especially with the music and memory because it's made such a huge difference. I've seen it with people I didn't even, hadn't met before that were actively dying. They would ask me to come and sit with the patient. And so they were not talking, but they can hear. I was taught the hearing is the last to go uh, when I did the training to become a hospice volunteer. And so 
I put the music on. I've had at least three patients benefit from this. And one lady especially who I had been seeing, the last time I saw her, I was planned on staying a half an hour. I ended up staying for three hours. She, they were waiting to uh, hear from hospice to, to give her medication. She was very agitated and in pain and having a hard time. And I knew what music she liked. And I sat down and once I started playing that music, this lady who was in pain, you could see it in her face, this lady, this patient, calmed right down. And this is without medication. And she was peaceful and she listened to the music and I couldn't leave her. I stayed for three hours. I just didn't want to leave her. It made she such just, a difference. It made such a difference. Well, you've been doing this, Kay, connecting with so many of these folks in need and not just through hospice or cloud ministry, Alzheimer's Association, Volunteer Transportation Center. You know, if, I, if we looked at your calendar, it would appear as if you're still full, <laughs> working full time. You probably work more than some folks do full time or volunteer. Um, what has it meant to you to really just keep filling up these days? Even though you've been retired for a period of years now, what's it like knowing that you're filling these days volunteering and helping others? It's such a wonderful feeling to be able to give back in some small way. Um, and I can't tell you how much I get out of it. It's just such a joy. Whether it's a person, a patient that's actively dying, that might sound strange. But to, to be able to be there and, and be with them and to make a difference. You mentioned a minute ago about volunteering being a natural high. Yes. I know you kind of answered the question just now, but if you could elaborate a little more on that natural high, what's that feeling that you get when you go and, and you're done helping somebody every day? I, I've forgotten all of the aches and pains I might have had. Uh, any of my concerns before I went to do the music and memory or the clown ministry. And I just feel so good that I was able to make a difference in some small way and to see that joy and the happiness. You know, clowns originally came to be to bring joy and happiness to people. That's what they were meant to be. That's what they were meant to do. And I want to share with you one of the ladies from the nursing home in Ogdensburg. I'm going to say her name because she is uh, now related through my son. Her name was Elizabeth Stoll. She was at Governor Nursing Home to start with. And when we started the clown ministry, I'd never met her before. Uh, she was amazing. She's in a wheelchair. And I, I danced with the residents from the wheelchairs. And I was dancing with her from her wheelchair, and she wanted to stop. We had this big circle with people in their, their chairs. And she stopped every person, and she wanted to say hi and talk to them a little bit. But yet she wanted to dance, too. And then when Governor Nursing Home closed, she went to Ogdensburg and hit her unit. It's like she was an ambassador for goodwill. Uh, she did the same thing. People just loved her. She made a difference, even though she was in a nursing home and a wheelchair, was not able to do most things for herself. She was making a difference. 
one of the things that you've had a chance um, in your travels and volunteering, I'm sure you've had the opportunity to interact with some students or some youth that might be volunteering a little bit as well with you. And one of the things we've discussed a lot in this podcast is the next generation and their active involvement in giving back to the community. And especially in volunteerism, because I feel like that's a really hard area sometimes for, for youth and young professionals to really figure out how they can help by volunteering. What message would you share for the next generation to encourage them to give back the way that you have? You know, we all have journeys to go on. And in giving, you receive. I think most everybody at one time or another in their life, whether it be financially, health-wise, in some way, will have a need in their lifetime. And if my children, my grandchildren, can share with others and make that difference by just a listening ear uh, in some small way, I keep saying that, but I, I can't say it enough, then they're making a difference to mankind. And how important is volunteering, whether it's for an organization, your church, in your community, how is that important, volunteering, to the future of where we live here in northern New York? Or the spirit of volunteering, how important that is to these communities where we live? There's a special bonding. There's a special bonding when you, uh, when you do the volunteering, whether it's, you know, people that, uh, I don't have a lot of money to give, I give when I can, but for those, it's wonderful that people, through their generosity of money, can give. That's wonderful because if they didn't have the money to give, uh, you know, it would, we would have really be uh, a sad society, I think, today. I think about my sister, Linda, who is a um, volunteer at the uh, food pantry in Governor. And she once shared with me, she said, you know, she said, people think that people that come to the food pantry all uh, come because of their low income. But she said, you know, that there are people that because of all the monies they have to pay out for prescriptions a month, do not have the money to, to take care of the rest of their needs. Uh, I guess I'm kind of, <laughs> uh, but I wanted to share that. You know, we just, everybody, everybody, doesn't matter your ability, disability, uh, lack of money or money, can give. There, there isn't a person that can't give. I talked about this lady in the nursing home, you know, and here she was bringing joy to others through her caring and, and talking with them. Everybody has a, a talent or ability to do Everybody. it, regardless of age. Everybody has a talent. Okay, I hope our listeners and those you've had the ability to connect with personally understand how fulfilling life can be when you volunteer to help others. We really appreciate you sharing your experience with us and the lessons that we hope will impact many others forever. Thanks again for listening to the Northern New York Community Podcast. Remember, every interview is easily accessible and always free, whether it's online or on your mobile device. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or other podcast platforms when you search for the Northern New York Community Podcast. Check out our podcast website, which also features interview highlights, transcripts, photo galleries, and much more. Just go to www 
www.nnycpodcast.com. Our thanks to K Church for joining us, and thanks to all of you for listening to the Northern New York Community Podcast. To listen to the interview in its entirety and others just like it, go to nnycpodcast.com.